God is good, isn't he? How long will it take me to convince you that you are God's child? You've already been convinced. Well, next question, just before I say the benediction. How long will it take me to convince you that God wants you and I to share the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ? I don't have to convince you then. So would you pause for me as I say the benediction? Let's talk to our Father briefly, nonetheless. Our Father, we thank you for what you have already been doing in our lives this evening. Thank you for the music. Thank you for the lyrics. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for having ministered to us already. And now, Father, we come again because we have your personal invitation to come, and so here we are. And we pray there, Father, that the words of my mouth the meditations of our heart might be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, my God and my Redeemer, and all of God's people says, Amen. It was in a quaint settlement on the largest island in the Bahamas, Andros. Settlement called Mastic Point where I spent the first 19 years of my life in this quaint settlement. And prior to my 17th birthday, I suppose like many persons would have shared, or several persons shared last Sunday evening, my childhood was, as it were, maybe uneventful. I was considered by society's standard to be a good boy. And so I was never, at least nobody caught me, in any mischief that baby society could pinpoint and say that this was a rude boy. But I still did not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And my mom was the primary person who took me on a regular, weekly, several times a week basis to a church setting. My dad didn't do that. I saw dad in church several times, usually when somebody had died, usually at a funeral. There was not a frequent wedding, so it wasn't on that occasion either. But my mom made sure that we went to church at least three times on Sunday. There was Sunday morning, regular service. There was a Sunday afternoon where we had Sunday school, and then there was Sunday evening. There was something on Thursday evening called YPE. I didn't realize what those letters meant maybe until five years after I was 17. But that was something for young people to go to. But it was during a special service where we had a gentleman that was from Abaco, I think it was, it was designated a Bishop Sweeting, had a revival, and during that revival, um, it was in the month of June. I went to the, with, of course, that was the event that was happening in the settlement. 
at the time. And so, of course, mom is involved, very actively involved in the church. So I went because I was expected to be there anyhow, all of the children. But during the invitation of one of the, of the, one of the services, the invitation is extended. I was seated there, and then several of my friends from school were sitting in the same pew that I was, also went up. Well, because I was left alone in the pew, I decided this is not comfortable, so I better go up with the crowd. So I went up in the front of the uh, platform. There was space for persons to kneel as they requested them to do. And persons came and prayed for those persons. I was more concerned about the person because they prayed by putting their hands on your head or your shoulder. And I had just picked my afro, and they were going to put their hand on my afro. So I squirmed a little bit. I noticed that some of my friends, while they were being prayed for, were genuinely crying. And I thought then that I should also cry. But I could not find tears, real tears. So to skip the gruesome part, I invented tears. And then I changed my demeanor, walked as if something had transpired. I walked back to my seat after they would have rooted up my afro, sat down, but it was just to fit in, to do what everybody else would have done. But nothing happened internally. It wasn't... I was feeling a little bit guilty about that afterwards. I suppose now, in retrospect, could that have been the Holy Spirit? I'm convinced it was. But the next evening... I went again, and so the invitation was given again. And this time, even though I don't recall any of my friends going up again to be born again, again, I went forward. Didn't cry, I don't recall, but it was very deliberate and focused on what I was being asked to do. I was being introduced to the Savior of the world. I responded. Didn't understand a lot about it at age 17. But I went back from there feeling, knowing that something was different. From the outside, persons who may have observed my daily routine may not have been able to detect any major difference in my behavior. Because as I said at the beginning, by society's standard, I would have been a good boy. But I did not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Shortly after that, for two years really, I was transferred or at least was given the opportunity to attend school here in New Providence. And in college, fortunately God has placed two young men who were close friends of mine who were very zealous about their relationship with Jesus Christ. And for me, that became, they became unknowingly to them, my mentors. And so, as it were, I move out from this secret, undercover agent Christian. So I begin to live out to speak about my faith in Jesus Christ. And to say, in short, 
I'm always intrigued as a result and looking for an opportunity to tell someone about Jesus Christ because he is good news. Don't you agree? Well, the word itself, and you have been saturated in recent weeks during our regular services as Pastor Lee very eloquently led us uh, through what he termed evangelism New Testament methodology. The fact that you and I are here today, this evening, meant that at some point in the past, somebody, somebody shared the good news of the gospel with you and I. And aren't you glad they did? I certainly am. Well, it is true, as your own conviction and I suppose conversion experience will test, that the difference in how we came to faith in Jesus Christ can be as varied as our facial expressions. But the mere fact that God is at the bottom of it all is indicative of the power of the Holy Spirit. But in this whole process, what is the essence of this wonderful good news that we call the gospel? Islam is centered in a sacred city called Mecca, where there is a sacred building called the Kaaba. In this building, I'm told, there is a sacred stone that came down allegedly from heaven. This is probably true, for the stone is probably a meteorite. But you and I believe that it was not a stone that came down from heaven, but it was a person, a messenger, a message, a word, a gospel. John said that this word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now to me, that sounds like good news. That sounds like gospel. That's something I would like to tell somebody else. The choir saying, and the essence of what I understood them saying is that I don't want to leave here empty-handed. I don't want to leave here empty-handed. Some of us along the spectrum from the point that we came to faith in Jesus Christ to this very moment, for some that can be less than a year. For others, that can range as many as 40, 50 years ago or more. And during that time period, all of us had the opportunity to tell this good news of Jesus Christ to others. Paul says, and this is where I wish to ask you to, to look with me briefly this evening. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 to 4, he says, in capturing the essence of the gospel, it says that Christ died for our sins 
according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So what does this have to do with me and with you? Well, the fact that you, and if you are here this evening as a Christian, you have responded, you have personalized that this Christ has died for you. Not only that, that he has been buried and that he's been raised again. And so our sins are in remission because Christ took our place, according to the scriptures. 2 Corinthians, and I want to go through this quickly, but I need you to, to refer to it so that you can stay up with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 through 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 through 21. And maybe if we have not been as intentional and passionate about sharing this gospel, to others, maybe we can learn something from our brother Paul. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 through 21, and I quote, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God, and I hope we are made manifest also in your consciences. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. A question. Do you so live your lives with the intent of persuading men, women, boys and girls, family members, work associates, customers, employees, to persuade them so that they can come into a relationship, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's Paul's words. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God, and I hope we are made manifest also in your consciences. Verse 12, we are not again commending ourselves to you, but I giving you an occasion to be proud of us, that you may have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. I'm suggesting here that Paul had some enemies. That those, in verse 12, those who take pride in appearances, some people just do it for the outward appearance, for the show but not in heart. So long as they're getting some applause, long as they're having some limelight shown on them, then they remain in that position. But from a heart, it's not genuine. We are not again commending ourselves to you, but are giving you an occasion to be proud of us, that you may have an answer for those, because they will come asking, 
but they take pride only in their outward appearance. They don't have pride of true heart. Verse 13, for if we are beside ourselves. Now, when I read, used the word or read the word beside ourselves, in the bohemian context, sometimes when a child or a person is misbehaving, we say, hey, you're getting beside yourself. Now, when I read this, it says, for if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Maybe in your version it may have said, if we seem to act insane or a little bit off. If we do that, it is for God. If we are of sound mind, it is for you. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are of sound mind, it is for you. Are you prepared to be misunderstood in presenting the gospel to mankind? Or if that is a problem for you, will you decline to open your mouth, or to so live a life that is consistent, consistently holy with the gospel of Jesus Christ among your fellow men. For the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. This has such profound truth right here. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all. Therefore, all died. Do you really believe that? The fact that you are as a Christian here this evening tells me that you really believe that. At least he died for you, but not only for you. You know what the scripture says. This one here is indication enough that Christ died for all men. And if we don't share that, God and his sovereignty have so chosen to use vessels like you and I to deliver this profound truth, this profound message, good news. Verse 15 says, and he died for all, that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on, the, on their behalf. Who are you living for? There, there is this twist of that today, who you're working for. Um, and I hope you don't say government them. But who are you working for? Who are you living for? And he died for all that they who live should no longer live for themselves. Are you living for yourself or every waking moment of your life is consumed with the person of Jesus Christ and you want to reflect him in your words, and certainly in your deed, in your walk, and in your talk. And he who died for all, that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, I like this, therefore from now on, we recognize no man according to the flesh. What, what, what does that mean? Therefore, from now on, we recognize no man according to the flesh. Don't see anybody just as a pure physical or worldly. I want to see him. Even though we have known Christ, even though we had known Christ according to the flesh, 
Yet now, him, that's no longer. And so before you even came to faith in Christ, he may have just been a good man. But now that you have met him, he's more than a good man. He is your Lord. He is your Savior. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Do you know that there are many persons out there who are wishing to hear that? And then God has so designed you and your circumstances, your experiences, so that only you, probably only you are the one who can convey that to that person in a way that they will understand and respond. So every person that God has allowed to come into your life, there's, it's not an accident. In God's economy, there is no such thing as accidents in our lives. Everything is God-ordained, and so we must respond appropriately. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no man according to the flesh. Please don't just see them as just mere physical beings, but see them as Christ sees them. These, do you remember Christ saying that his, his desire that none should perish? And he is expecting us to at least share the gospel with him. At least share that. Because of our love for him. Verse 17. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Isn't it true in your own life? Isn't it true that since you came to faith in Christ, since you became a new creature, isn't it true that old things have passed away, maybe not as fast in some cases, but aren't you different? Isn't your attitude different? Your passion different? Is you, are you now consumed with the person, work of Jesus Christ? This text tells me that you should. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. You are a Christian if you have placed faith in Jesus Christ. If you have been born, the Holy Spirit has placed you in Christ. You have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. It is now our task. God has given us that ministry of reconciliation. Look at verse 18. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, wait a minute. Who, who's been given this ministry of reconciliation? Because God and man were at odds because of man's sinfulness. Those of us who responded to the love of God have been reconciled to God. Then God turns around and then gives us the ministry of reconciliation. So now that we go back, to where we came from, as it were, to use as his instrument, his agents. Later on, I think he calls us ambassadors, so that we go and share the gospel to those persons, so that they too can be reconciled to God. Now, all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Are you aggressively, intentionally involved in this ministry? Or have you retired before you began? I encourage you to be obedient to what the scripture tells us. And here's what it says. Namely, 
that God was in Christ. Notice how we are going to passage on. Namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation continues. God was in Christ while Christ was here physically, reconciling the world unto himself. Christ has left, and he's passed the baton on to you and I. Now, wouldn't it be a tragedy in a relay race that the person who you pass the baton on to to sit down on a track, you know, or put the baton in their back pocket and sit? You and I have been given this awesome responsibility, this privilege of this ministry called reconciliation to bring, to introduce men and women to the person of Jesus Christ. What a privilege. The question is, have we been taking advantage of this? Are we, as Paul used in another context, have we been running this race? Are we being faithful? Or have we retired before the race is over? Therefore, we are, verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God as though God was or were entreating through us. Imagine God having the word strong word, entreating. God begging you and me. Now why would he have to even do that? After all that he has done for us. After all that he has done for us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were entreating through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I like the... I like the, the outcome of that. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What an exchange. <laughs> that ain't fair, right? Not at all. But it is to our advantage. And there are persons out there who need to hear this. And they won't if you refuse to share the gospel with them. What we are recipient of by God's grace, we should be eagerly looking for opportunities to share that with those around us. This is indeed good news, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Imagine God looking at you and calling you righteous. Wow. We have this privilege to communicate the world's greatest story and yet many of us fail to properly participate. Why is this so? Is it because of fear? Is it because we feel like we might be rejected? What is the worst thing someone might do when you go to tell them about Jesus Christ? They could spit in your face. 
And you say, I, 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 don't, I don't do spitting. So I can't take that. Maybe they will assault you. And so is that the worst thing they can do? Maybe they will kill you. I think Paul would answer you by saying, well, to be absent from the body <laughs> is to be present with the Lord. That's, that's an advantage. You know? And so while I'm here, it is for your sake. But if I leave, hey, that's okay because I'm going to be with my Lord. Why is it that we have this hesitancy to share this wonderful news with so many people? Is it because we are intimidated? Is it because we don't know enough? Well, that can be taken care of. 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show yourself to prove unto God so that you become a workman that needed not to be ashamed so that you can rightly divide the word of truth. Maybe it's because of your lack of commitment. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will work on you in that respect, that you really love God enough to want to tell his story, to pass the baton of the ministry of reconciliation on. Why don't you check your evangelistic pulse? <laughs> Do you find it, or is it, are you dead? Maybe you are. Some people don't know where to find it. You have retired and quit a long time ago. Pastor Lee mentioned this morning several things for us, little short words that maybe you can remember that says you must go. Go to them. Stay with them. Stay in relationship. And some of us who are more relational, maybe we call it thin skin uh, and we get hurt very easily. But will you stick it out for Christ's sake? You know, stay in the relationship, model with them before them what it is to be consistent, to love them Yea, even unto and beyond death. Stay in the relationship, but also to bless them in practical ways, not just because they're doing something for you and then you're waiting for it to return. But then tell them. Tell them what God has done for you as well. And you all have a story. You do have a story. And you have something to tell. So it isn't that you don't have anything to say. Not only that, you must share, but share accurately the gospel, and share it clearly. And then, of course, be. Be who you are. God sees you as his children. And God's children, because of their association and their relationship, they have a story to tell about their daddy. You know, tell others about your father. What about your elder, bigger brother, Jesus Christ, and what he has done for you? I think that's sufficient, and that. There is always an audience. How you deliver that, how you deliver that will be unique to you. The, the message remains the same. The form will change, but the content stays. Form, function. Tell the story. Tell the good news. Second Peter 3.9 says that the Lord is not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And it'll happen when we mobilize ourselves to obedience and to do as God has asked each of us to do. Each week, certainly here in the Bahamas and around the world, hundreds of people are leaving this planet and exchanging time for eternity. Aren't you glad that you had made a personal relationship with Jesus Christ before you 
before your change had come? Well, there are persons who exist today, this evening, maybe right in your family, right in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in the places that you frequent, who are waiting to hear the good news of the gospel. How long will you remain silent? How long? And it's just you. Death is a, and we've been, we've been heard, we heard this morning how um, uh, at least two persons from our own membership or related to persons of a membership who would have passed just yesterday. And death generally has to leave some grief. But you know what's worse than just dying? It's a person who dies without knowing Christ. That's worse than dying. I call, that's, that's worse than dying. But you know what's even worse than dying without knowing Christ? Is that you and I had the opportunity to share with that person Jesus Christ, and we didn't. I think that's worse than just dying, and the person dying not knowing where they, that they will go into a Christless eternity. But for us to be aware of that, that this person I have associated with day in, day out, but I remain silent. I never told them about Jesus Christ. That's worse. That's death at the third degree. You know, that's, that's bad. That's terrible. I wish to challenge you that you will never lose any opportunity every waking moment in addition to you praying for specific persons that God might lay on your heart, but everybody who comes before you, even those who might profess to be a Christian, mortals so live in their presence so that you, your life might be an encouragement to them. This is indeed a matter of life and death, real death. The unbeliever's deepest need and desires is is it a life to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And therefore, my brothers and sisters, we have no time to waste. Time is of the essence. We must present the truth of the gospel in the form that the believer can understand, that he can consider and accept. And unfortunately, sometimes in our communication of the greatest story in the world, we use language that the world cannot understand. You may, familiar, you may be familiar with George Barner, a Christian researcher, who cited some of the calls it Christianese language that some Christians use in attempting to present the gospel uh, to unbelievers. And, for example, he says, imagine a person who is an unbeliever hearing these terms. You must be covered by the blood of the Lamb. Don't believe say what? Must be covered by the blood of the Lamb. Some Christians don't even know what that means. B. Be fed on the word. The unbelief. These are what we say our intent. We mean well. But does this make sense to the unbeliever who is not biblically literate? Be fed on the word. Be slain in the spirit. That sounds painful. Possess a broken spirit. 
Huh? Duh. What does it mean? Do not trust yourself. Well, they say, well, if I can't trust myself, what I say to you, I can't trust that either. Seek the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Language we use to an unbeliever. Now, what is the possibility of this person who is hearing these terms, what are the chances of them being convinced versus being confused? I tend to think they become more confused. And maybe say like Felix, "Ah, not at this time. Maybe I will hear more of you at another time. Right now, you're making things very muddled in my mind. Let me, in conclusion, draw your attention to a warning that I think comes from a very sorry man named Lazarus. You're very familiar with the story in Luke chapter 16. You remember Lazarus' story, chapter 16, verse 19. The Bible tells us that there was a rich man who dressed in fine clothes, ate sumptuously, party animal. He did well, living good. And then there was a poor man named Lazarus who probably had leprosy, had sores all over his body, who stayed at the gate of this rich man as a regular basis, hoping that he can survive of the scraps that fell from the table of this rich man. The story goes on to say that this poor man died, and he had a personal, a personal escort. Some angels came and took him to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died, and the Bible simply said, and he was buried. And he opened his eyes, and he found himself in Hades. And he was not in a comfortable place. But he had good eyesight. Because he looked in a distance and he saw Lazarus. And he saw Lazarus in Abraham's bosom. And he, his voice was pretty good. Communication was not a problem. He was able to communicate across this gulf or this chasm. And he asked Abraham that Abraham recognized him. Uh, could you let Lazarus come over here? you know, um, dip his finger in some water. He must have seen water on the other side. And so that he can just drop a little bit on my tongue because I'm in torment in this place. Abraham says, child, I can imagine him saying that like a bohemian with a little drag on it. Well, child, you know. But he says, child, where you are, you know, where you are and where Lazarus is, as you can see, there's a big gap. And besides, the people on that side, they can't come over here. And Lazarus over here, he can't come over there. But he says, well, okay, if that can't be, would you then let's do move one favor? Would you let him, let him go back? Not if he can't come this way, could you let him go back up to my father's house? I have five brothers. And uh, let, them, let him tell them that don't come to this place. And the response was, basically, uh-uh. 
they have Moses and the prophets. In other words, they have some Christians up there to tell them. And he says, no, they ain't listen to them Christians, you know, the Moses and the prophets. Um, but if you let that dead man go back up in him, Lazarus, they'll, they'll listen to the dead man. Abraham says, no. If they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they're not listening to you. They won't listen to a dead person. In essence, what that story says was this. How many persons, for me, how many persons are living today? And because I am that Moses or the prophet, and I decided I'm not telling anybody, and yet God is expecting me to tell. And so somebody like this rich man, who, who shared with this rich man, who told this rich man, before he died, about Jesus Christ, or about God. Yet he knew, he knew about Moses and the prophets. But, but the, the Moses and the prophets of his day, were they telling them about God? Wouldn't it be a tragedy that persons who we hang out and associate with on a regular basis to die, and they stand before the judge of all the ages. And when they play back your tape, because you were in association with them, because whatever period of time God has loaned you, and you remain silent because of some other personal pet peeves that you have, how will you deal with that? I think there is some deep regret when you stand before a, a judge. And it need not be. It need not be. If you so commit yourself that I am God's child, I have one of the most marvelous message or story to tell that Christ came, died in my place for you as well, for all mankind. And if you would only by faith trust him and accept him, he too can be your savior and you can have a new relationship with him. That's good news, my brothers and sisters. That's news that everybody should hear. And if you listen to the news on the radio, there's bad news all around. And we have a, a, a hole, as it were, a, a real estate, as it were, on this good news. And yet we remain silent. To do so is to support the enemy. I encourage you this evening not to do that. But instead, share the good news of Jesus Christ with those Christ God has brought into your life. Paul comment or Paul's commitment to function and freedom in form is presented in the in presenting the gospel is seen very clearly in First Corinthians chapter nine. And I'd like to read as I conclude uh, my time here this evening with you. First Corinthians chapter nine. Verse 19 and following. And here's what it says. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, that I might win the more. I like that. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all men, that I might win the more. And to the Jews... I became a Jew, that I might win Jews. 
to those who are under the law as under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men. Why? That I may by all means save some. And I do all things for the sake of the gospel, that I may become a fellow partaker of it. My brothers and sisters, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. I'd like to say with Paul, as he said in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, for I am not ashamed, are you? For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation, to the Jews first, and then also all of those non-Jewish people in the audience. That's Paul's declaration. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, For it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jews first and also for the Gentiles. I'm hoping by your lifestyle, your commitment, that you too can say you're not ashamed of the gospel and your life will testify to the fact or the tenacity of that truth. It is my prayer that God will so convict and empower and motivate you that if you have not been doing so, that you will begin even now to be more intentional, focused, and sharing this wonderful news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Men and women are waiting to hear it. Let's not disappoint them. Let's not disappoint our Lord. Please let's pray as we close. Our Father, you have been so wonderful to us. You have initiated a relationship with us. Yes, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We who have responded to that love, to that offer of grace, Father, we now commit ourselves afresh to you again to be more intentional in our sharing of this good news, this ministry of reconciliation, so that mankind, men, women, boys, and girls, might come to know Jesus Christ. Lord, we recognize that it is not 
by my might or my power, but it's by your spirit that this will be accomplished. And so we ask these things, Father, so that you and you alone might be exalted. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus to Christ. And all of God's people said, Amen. Thank you.